and of course, Scripture always prevails, but I want to just kind of get you ready for this. One of the things we've seen is we've mentioned names. We've mentioned a lot of names that's going on with this. What's called, this is called a, a Roman tribunal. This is what this is, or an emperor's tribunal. When we go in here and we see this, why is there so much changing of hands with one man? Why is there such a problem here? And why is it that there's, you have a governor from Caesarea, you have another governor from Jerusalem in Caesarea, then all of a sudden the hand changes on the responsibility to take care of this tribunal. It will then go to an emperor after this. Well, we're going to see this, and we're going to put this all together this morning, and I think it's fascinating how one man could have such an impact on a whole empire. So let's start reading. We're going to start in Acts chapter 24. And pick up in verse 23, and then we're going to go to chapter 25, verse 12. That's Acts 24, 23 to 27, and then Acts 25, verses 1 to 12. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul, and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus, here's a new name coming in, came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. They left him in jail. Now here we go, chapter 25. Now when Festus was come into the providence, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all? But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong. He says, I have done no wrong as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. Once again, hands are changing again with this responsibility against Paul the Apostle. But what you see here, before we go into this, into the body of the, of the message here, remember this. 
Festus did not have any type of understanding or any basic uh, education in Jewish law. And he wasn't very educated himself also in Roman law very well either. If you read about him, there's not a whole lot of writings about him. There's uh, 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 Calvin has some writings about him. Henry has some writings. John MacArthur did a wonderful job, but it's very... It, it, it's very minimal. Uh, R.C. Sproul, who has a whole panel of pastors that put together um, a Reformation study Bible, There's some, there, there are some uh, information there, but all the information is very much the same about Portius Festus because there's not a whole lot of writing about him that exists. There was a lot of books that were burned along what happened in 70 A.D. A lot of information and a lot of scribal uh, reports were burned and they were destroyed. And so we don't get to hear a whole lot, but we get enough to understand that basically his problem was he did not understand Jewish law. And this is one of the reasons why he's sitting back and he's saying, what do I do with Paul? What's he talking about? He's, he's, they're saying that he has completely defied Jewish law and they want him, it's so bad they want him dead. But on the other hand, basically, this Paul is standing here and saying, hey, kill me. I haven't done anything wrong. And so you would think Portius Festus would stand by and say, well, I know Jewish law, and I know what happened back in the Old Testament, and right now, as far as I can see, he hasn't done anything wrong. Now he's scratching his head. And it's amazing how these men that are so uplifted could be so obtuse. But when I read that, I think to myself, you see the court trials that are going on, the indictments of some of the men that work for Trump and all that? It's the same thing. The people that are trying him, they don't even know American constitutional law. They have no idea what it is. They don't even know their own, their own due process is so backwards, it, they, they don't even know what they're doing. And we can see this in a kangaroo court. We're going to look at what happened. There's, there's another kangaroo court we've been looking at before. But once again, I trust that no one is saying here how repetitive this is. We see how Paul's moved from one venue to another, from one courtroom to the next, and, and, and it seems like they're same situations. I personally find that when you move forward in these scriptures and you move forward in these words, it gets more exciting. Then all of a sudden we're going to be pulling right up to the, uh, uh, an incredible narrative of Paul being shipwrecked when he was incarcerated, taken, and he had full authority to get away from the shipwreck and to run away, and he never did. Because he was there to face this trial and to continue on with his defenses. If Paul has the Holy Spirit to inspire him and it comes through him in this book and we see that it's somewhat repetitive, there is a reason for that. The Holy Spirit, whenever we see a a Hebraism and something's repeated over and over, I think we should pay attention to every letter of Scripture, but especially when it's repeated because it's for a reason. And so we see this kind of happening over and over again with Paul. What, what happened before? Who was, who was the procurator, the governor before, that actually turned Paul over to Festus? Does anybody remember who that was? That's right, it's Felix. And now we see a new, a new name comes up. Here, Felix adjourns the situations. He was very, now he was a very violent governor, as Festus is not. And basically... He has a complete, he had a completely different reason for preserving Paul. He did not want to look bad in front of Herod Agrippa II or Caesar. He did not want to look bad in front of the king and having Paul taken and executed by the Jews. Why do you think that is? 
Because we're going forward here. I want to see this a couple minutes. And then if there's something really interesting happens at the end of chapter 24 before Paul's turned over, it all ties together. Why do you think that there's an air of nervousness and there's kind of a conundrum or a problematic dark cloud hanging over this whole situation? Right now, if you're a Roman procurator or if you are part of the Jewish council, there's still a dark cloud hanging over. Why do you think that is? Anybody? Any, it's, it's, very, it's very obvious. That's a good point, actually. That's not where I was going, but that's a great point. Guys, that's great. Why was Pilate's judgment seat in Jerusalem? We went through this for many, many weeks. Why? Why did he have... Now, that's not, that is absolutely not protocol with the Roman Empire. You don't take your judgment seat and take it out of your main court where you have an... It is a Roman emperor's tribunal is exactly what you can call this. Because these men were agents of the king. But why did Pilate literally take and have a mobile unit basically bring his entire judgment seat in Jerusalem? Well, I'm, go ahead, Lisey. The money changers. He got a cut. Remember that? He got a cut of all that. And it was a lot of money. And we're going to find out why we're going to be collecting, we are going to be connecting a lot of prophecy this morning. I hope we get that far because I have so much to say right now that's so fascinating. We're going, to, we're going to be connecting several prophecies. These prophecies came perfectly, but the money is exactly right. They had, why did Jesus turn over the money tables? Lisa. Right. That's right. Right. That's right. That's a great point. And there, you, you think of the Jewish festivals, and if you go into Leviticus and you read about. You read about the, uh, the obligation of the festivals to happen. All of this stuff funnels right into our day and age, and all of this stuff is still happening on, no, on other levels, a lot of this. And I, I'll try to explain that as I go along. But what we had was when these festivals came, especially the Passover festival, around when Jesus was taken in, He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the unblemished lamb. He is the Messiah. And when this happened, they used him like a lot of churches do today. They basically used him to bring a lot of people even more so into that Passover. They loved the fact that people followed him. And if he came through Jerusalem, not only would they have their normative, uh, normative brood that came from all the areas, from Galilee and, and even Nazareth and down Berea and all around would come in, but these people that followed Jesus would come in. So they moved the judgment seat into Jerusalem and all the people were there. They were benefiting from it financially because when the people would come in and bring their animals to offer up sacrifice at the Passover, the Jewish council said, they're not good enough. Like Lisa said, 
they're not pure enough. We're going to upgrade your purity, give you a better animal. And plus, if you pay with your own denominations, you're going to pay a 50 cent tax on that because a 50% tax because you're going to have to change your currency. They would even make money off of the money. Lisa. Right. Right. That's right. 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 And that's what we're having today in Congress. This past week, they were having session committees with Republicans in the Senate and I mean the House of Representatives, and they were talking about arbitrary, they have a name for it, and I can't remember it, I wanted to remember it, but it's a way of having a whole complete, um, a whole slush fund for arbitrary spending for those that are empowered. They can, they can actually name what they want to spend it on and come up with all these committees. So, not, 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 and not that it wasn't bad enough that our country just lost a $1 trillion fighter jet two weeks ago and $1 trillion. Can you imagine having $1 trillion? That's our money and they lost it, plus all the money they lost over in Saudi Arabia. I mean, over in, yeah, over in, uh, when they lost $83 billion of stuff was given over a couple years ago. They, they gave it away. Same thing's happening here. They would generate this income at the festivals. That was their diplomacy. That was their nobility because they made tens of thousands and tons of money off of these festivals. But all this is going on. Why? Why was the judgment seat brought into Jerusalem? Paul is now being told by, by, by Felix, who turns him over to Festus, and Festus says, why don't you go, go, go get tried up in Jerusalem? Why? Well, what happens is there is a little difference between Paul and Jesus. If you remember the writings of David and over and over and over, I, we could have done this and that would have been taken a long time to go through. But we've done it before. There were several prophecies that said that Jesus Christ would be tried in Jerusalem. That's where he would be tried. And all of that came together, falling right into the hands of the prophecy that God made himself. He is, he, is, he is Mount Zion. He is going to Jerusalem. That is where he's going to be slain. You go to Psalm, 20, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And where was David writing that? He was in Jerusalem. He was the king of the northern and the southern kingdom. So we see how this all comes together. But we see here... Paul was deferred, there was a final delay or a reservation of judgment, and we see here that this was wrong, that actually we'll see that Lady Justice was not very blind, and it talks about how there was the people of the way, we looked at that, and where Felix headquarter as a governor, Felix, he had been there back in Caesarea, and basically probably knew some Christians there, we had talked about, he no doubt knew Cornelius, Cornelius was a Roman 
He was a Roman soldier. Actually, he was higher than a Roman soldier. Um, I forget his title, but he was higher than a soldier. But he was a born-again Christian, and he had Bible studies in his house. And so he would have had to have answered to Felix at the time. All the time frame fits. That's why this is so important about the detail in Scripture and how authentic it is. The details there, the names are there, the places are there. It's not mythological. And so we see that, look at this, we see how Antonius Felix released Paul, sends him over. He's married to this woman, Drusilla, who she was barely even 20 years old. She was 16 years old when Felix met her. She's wicked. He's wicked. He wants to wash his hands just like Pilate, Claudius Lysias. He washes his hands, turns Paul over to Felix. Felix washes his hand like Paul said. I mean, Pilate said, I want to wash my hands of this Jesus. Remember, he didn't want all the responsibility on him. Then Felix washes his hand and hands Paul over to this man, Portius Festus. And I think that that's incredible for many reasons. Here, Felix is presenting Roman law to Paul. Paul turns the tables and he comes back to Felix and he starts throwing the righteousness of Jesus Christ at Felix. And Felix says, get out of here. I don't want to hear about this anymore. I don't want to hear this. And that's what people do that don't want to hear the Bible. They want to sit as far away from it as they can. They want to stay away from it and they want to do everything they can to keep it out of their ears. And it says here, Paul reasoned in verse 25 with righteousness and temperance. And then it says, Felix trembled and answered. He says, go thy way for this time. He says, get out of here. I can't stand this gospel anymore. That's what he was saying. You read commentaries on this and every single one of them agree. That's how I come to a conclusion on some of these phrase, the phraseology that's so important. You get enough pastors together and they say the same thing on a, on a, on a complete, on, on, a, on a real important application. And they've got it figured out. They really do, because the Lord has directed them, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit guides them. And that's what he was saying. Felix was like, I can't hear this anymore. But leave him in jail, because I can't kill him, but I certainly can't release him. But then he comes back and he says, very interesting. What do you think he meant by this? As we're getting ready right now, we're going to go into chapter 25. This is the last thing that we didn't really hit hard. He says, in verse 20. 26, he hoped also that money should be given him of Paul that he might lose him. Now, he just says, Paul, go away from me. Felix goes into his chamber and he's back there probably saying, well, this is another one of these right-wing, absolute, you know, fanatical, radical Jesus freaks. But we're not going to let him go. But there's one way we would have let him go. What do you think this means? Money. Every man has his price. He, that's, a, that's what it was. The Roman Empire, they had bail money. But it wasn't like it's set up here. I mean, it used to be in this country that bail money was a good thing, and all now it's become a real farce. But if he'd have just given enough money, maybe I would have thought about it. Would he really have? Well, he kind of leaves himself an out saying, Ah, Paul didn't pay us. He needs to write, and that's the one thing he did wrong. He, he knows all these important people. He preached in Corinth. He preached, in, he preached all throughout Corinth and Ephesus and all these areas, and he knows these important people. If he'd have just given a bribe or some kind of bail money or something like that, we'd have let him go. Nope. And then Felix scratches his head. Then I found out the real reason why Felix scratches his head. Agrippa and the king and all the emperors and all, 
he was creating a coup with the Jews behind their backs, it turns out. If you read the writings of Josephus and you dig a little deeper, and he now, actually from Nero's brother, is being actually getting ready to be arraigned and tried because of all of those wicked things that he had done. It was all now coming to light that Felix had murdered Jews, that he was a murderer, that he had stolen money, and he had really, he had really basically put a real bad face on the Roman Empire. And they're coming after him. So all of a sudden, this Portius Festus comes along. Drusilla and Felix both heard Paul. And you want to know what's sad about this? They both missed the day of conviction. Here Paul gives another account. He wasn't speaking when he's giving his defense, not mystical divinity, nor some deep academic doctrinal thesis, but rational, practical teaching. He told them what righteousness was all about. And it's no doubt that Paul continued with the bodily death of Christ and his perfect resurrection, his mediatorial work between God and man. He taught soberly and righteously. Can someone look up Titus chapter 2, verses 12 and 13? We need to read some scripture here. And then Paul is reasoning of righteousness and temperance. And all of this, Felix says no. Then he turns him over to Festus. Bless you. And we see here, Paul is the one in custody, and he is the one who is arraigning Felix before Drusilla, telling them that they are not righteous, and they're going to be facing one that is. That's what he's telling them. Whoever has that, go ahead. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. These verses are verses all down through the prison epistles that Paul backs up and teaches us what he was preaching at these six defenses. He had six different defenses against all the most powerful people in the world. And so we see here Paul's reasoning of righteousness. Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And Paul knew this all too well. He had to be very, very careful. He's presenting Roman law, Felix was to Paul. And Paul turns the tables on it and goes back. Paul exposes Felix with the righteousness of Christ. And Felix doesn't want anything to do with it. And he's basically turned away. Then Felix calls for a bribe. We see that Felix rejected the moment of conviction. His conscience was sealed. And we have seen that over and over and over and over in Scripture. And that is what the Lord is teaching us as Scriptures. When you get to see the beginning of one's life and the end of one's life, and you get to see all the in-between, which many times in Scripture we find that, and they miss that day of conviction, the Lord is trying to teach us something. Don't miss that day of conviction. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how important the salvation is. Lisa had her hand up and then Lisey.
Right. Oh, he does not have the fear of the Lord. He fears everything else. Right. Right. That's right. Right. The, well, the fear of the Lord it drives you to the Scripture, and it's very practical. It doesn't have to be like what Lisa said. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be doctrinal. Up front, it doesn't have to be this great academician way of trying to understand the deep. It's simply going to Scripture and finding out what angers God. We talked about it Wednesday night in the book of Proverbs as we were finishing, we're on our way to finishing verses 22 to verses 33 in Proverbs 1. When the Lord says, I will not hear your prayers, I will not listening to your cries. You have come against me, you have, you have blasphemed me, and I will cut you off. And you won't hear this in too many churches anymore, because people don't want to hear this. They want to be told that everything is a rainbow with a pot of gold at the end of it, that they got all this stuff and they deserve it and all. But when the Lord says, I will cut them off, Paul is trying to beg them, understand this, in a blink of an eye, you're all going to be standing in front of him, and I'm telling you, I was you. He's saying, I was you. I thought the same thing. I thought in my riches. I only feared the emperor. I only feared the Jewish council. Then I held the cloak of Stephen. And then I held, as they, as they stoned that man, I saw the love of Christ in his eyes. And I think, personally, that was one of the things that the Lord probably had on his heart. It didn't save him because we know he went to Damascus and God, and the Lord said... Saul, one of those Hebraisms, I love them, two words. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then all Paul could do after all of that, Saul, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And so we see Paul, he's not standing there trying to be some smart guy. He's telling them, I was you, and this is what the Lord did for me, and I want to share it with you. That's a testimony. Lisey, I'm sorry. Right. Right. But 
Right? And we present this like Paul did. Look, we don't go people's jugular veins and grab their throats and say, hey, I'm a great Christian, you're nothing. Ha, 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 believe in Jesus or else, you know. That's not what we do. We go there, the, 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 the pastor cries. Wisdom crieth out in the streets. It crieth out in the, into the places of concourse. It crieth out in the open gates, Proverbs says. In the opening of Proverbs. And wisdom, it cries. It doesn't laugh. It doesn't joke. It doesn't make riddles. A, a wisdom, it cries out, Solomon says. And Paul is crying out. And when we approach others, we do it with humility, almost in tears. And, and, we, and, and we sit down and we pray with them and we encourage them. And we do that knowing only we can ever even begin to do something like that by the grace of Christ. And not, on our, not of ourselves, as any man should boast. And this is what Paul's doing. So then all of a sudden... Felix now is recalled back to, back to his home. His brother Apollos had been removed from power, so he did not have the protection that he once has, once has. And now you don't get all the details of what happens to Felix, but his life starts crumbling like Pilate's did. And evidently, according to Jewish writings, Pilate, like Cornwallis <laughs> in the Revolutionary War, they both went into their quarters, faded away, and both committed suicide. That's what that's what said. Now that's that is not a hundred percent. One hundred percent. That is not a that is not one hundred percent with Pilate um, a- actually verified. But that's pretty much that with Josephus, the writings of these Jewish Jewish men. They they were not supposed to lie. I mean, they, that was one thing they couldn't do, and that was the writing that what happened to Pilate. He went into his own basically his own hiding, and he wound up committing suicide later. And that's what happened to a lot of these people. They couldn't stand the pressure of what they had done, and as they got older, it really ate them up. And so now here, Claudius Lysias is gone. Now Felix is gone. Who's Festus? Not the sidekick of Marshall Dillon on Gunsmoke. (laughs) When I hear Festus, that's the one I always think about. Portius Festus, and there's not a whole lot about him, but we know enough we see here, it, first of all, starting in chapter 25, verses 1 to 3, it's commonly been understood that with new lords, new laws, new customs that have been led by a new leader or a new governor, that things might change. The new governor might do things differently than the old governor. You know, that it might be the new governor would want to display clemency or some peace and safety in order to encourage the people and to win their hearts. But what did our Lord say about the Jews? What did he say? If you want to figure all of this is at what's going on here, and you want to watch it down the line, and I really encourage you to get in here and really read about it, you follow what Christ said. Because whenever you get discouraged in your life, if you remember what he says, and it was him that said it, if that doesn't lift you up, I have nothing else to offer. If Jesus said it, that lifts my heart, no matter how hard, how wonderful, and how difficult it is. There's nothing better than Jesus saying it and saying, if they hated me, they will hate you. But I don't hate you. And I'm the one that you don't want to hate. I am the one that you want to fall down at. But you know what? You don't have to just fall down at my feet. I'm your brother. I'm your friend. I'm everything you ever wanted. And that's what he said. That's what he tells them. So listen. And I think that being the fact that Christ could actually, a lot of people miss this, he could cure a blind man, he could take ten lepers, heal all ten of them, 
when their skin is basically falling off of their bones, and only one of them says thank you. He can take a woman with a blood disease, probably cancer, and heal her right then and there. I think that's who we listen to. And so I think we need to read him. John 8, 44 to 46. Someone please read that. That's incredible verses. And this is the direction we're going. This is the governorship. This is what the procurators in the Roman Empire was all about. Thank you, Noah. Did Christ ever ask any more? Did he ever ask any more of us than to believe? What, what, that's the first thing he asked, Lisey. Right. Believe. Well, let's put that into perspective here. Do you think Paul went back into his cell and sat down? He wrote the prison epistles. And I'm going to tell you before I say this, every single one of these wicked procurators and governors that did this to Paul all had a hand in his ultimate murder. Because they kept him around long enough and passed him around long enough that eventually he would rot in these horrible prisons and that they would, he would, according to the Jewish writings, he was beheaded. And it's not far off. The Lord says you're going to go to Rome, but he never said how he was going to go to Rome. He wasn't going to go to Rome in chariots of fire, and he was going to go out there and have some great big revival tent like Billy Graham. He was going to go in chains to Rome, and that's what he's doing right now. And so Christ said, they hated me, they will hate you, but you remember something. Those Jews are murderers. They hate me, they hate me, and they hate the work. Like Lisey just said, they hate the work. For my sake, they have blasphemed my name. And this is what I hate about Festus. He doesn't let Paul go. He keeps him incarcerated and he keeps him in chains. Even though he's been called the anti, or he's against being a bloody procurator. Who is this guy? Who are we talking about here? We see here, at this point, Portius Festus. As soon, let's see, let me make sure, I, I don't want to miss this part. He, he arrived at Caesarea, told Paul, why don't you go to Jerusalem? Paul says, uh-uh. So with this point, who is Portius Festus? As soon as Festus entered into the province of Caesarea, he took full possession of the government and was set, just like Pilate, to preside over the courts. He was only empowered for two years. Why? Anybody know? We're not sure how. I wasn't sure how, but I think I found out. He died. He was only there for two years and he was empowered. Now, I'm going to... Go ahead, Lisa. Festus. Festus. Portius Festus. Yeah, after... We know what happened to Felix, but after that Portius Festus, what happened to him? Now, I can either go into this now or I can go into this later, but since it's on my mind, if you all want me to just back off, I will... 
there was something that happened. Now, I'm going to wait because I'm going to miss the Bible verses. Nope, no, right here. I'm getting there. At this point, who is Portius Festus? As soon as Festus entered the providence, Caesarea took full possession. He was the Roman procurator. What is a procurator? Having financial and administrative powers over the Roman Empire as the agent of the emperor. That's That's powerful. I mean, these governors of the states of the United States of America, they all... If the United States of America was set up the way Patrick Henry wanted it to, which was the right way, we would have never had a union. We would have had sovereign states that all worked together, and each governor was basically its own emperor. That the states could make their own decisions, and when they had a problem, then the federal government could preside over it. But now the federal government owns our country, and and the governors have basically been made procurators by Caesar, just like Rome, and they answer to Caesar. That's what they do. And it's not Joe Biden. Are you kidding me? He couldn't even, he couldn't even run a dog-catching agency or something. It's somebody, somebody, whoever's behind all of that, that's puppeting him. That's who they got to answer to. Anyway, this procurator, they have financial and administrative powers. Over Palestine, Festus, for two years, was the, he was the procurator over Palestine. When Paul went to Rome... Uh, for the emperor's tribunal, basically these were all tribunals, and this Festus was one of those that presided over the court or the forum. That is what a tribunal is. It's a court or a form of justice. Festus, we know, already was sent to, to Felix by the emperor. Felix did not want the heat. He literally washed his hands as Pilate did, and his death is said to have been in Judea, where there was a breakout of Jewish robbers who slew a great many Romans. This is what happened, not to Felix, this happened to Festus. And it was a great upheaval, and there was the great burning of Jerusalem. Now we just had a prophecy about Christ being arraigned and tried in Jerusalem. And then we talked about how Christ said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. What did he say in Matthew chapter 24? This is where all of this now is playing out. And I'm going to show you here in a second. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Can someone read that? Incredible verses. Here, Festus had been killed in an attack, and there were a great many more that would lead to the great fires of Jerusalem. Matthew 24, 1 and 2. Thank you, Jacob. <laughs> Listen to that. What was what was this called? What was this portion of scripture called? There's a special name for it. Does anybody remember? Very popular amongst theologians, especially. But we talked about it. Does anybody remember what it's called? The Olivet Discourse. That's what this is. The Olivet Discourse. And you know, this is something that I just love, and I I could stand here and go on and on about it because I just love it. But here the disciples walk into the Jerusalem temples and they get all giddy. And they're walking outside of the temple and they say to Jesus, Wow, you see that golden dome? You see all the gold? You see all of the edifices? You see that great big porch in the back? That's where the woman put the, uh, the little mitre in the call, call for the greatest giving story that Jesus ever could teach us. 
all of this. They're like, wow. And he goes, yeah, it looks wonderful. But wait till you get a load of this. It's all going to be burned to the ground in a few years. And if you think that's great, wait till you see what happens. Burned to nothing. He says, don't look at these edifices. I'm the church. Look at me. Stop looking at all of this stuff. And that's what the problem we have today in this country. Everybody looks at the buildings. They look at the money. They look at the demographics. They look at the bands. They look at the most expensive guitars and drums. They look at all the accoutrements and all the fun stuff. And everything on Sunday morning is there except Jesus. He gets 20 minutes of some kind of goofy intervention. And here Christ says the opposite. He says, stop looking at all that. It's all going to be burned. Just like this whole earth is going to be burned one day. And we see here that what happened and what's going on, what we're reading right now, is there's all of these little skirmishes between the Jews. Some of those were like bandits. Remember how they, were, they said, how many times we've heard that they were laying in wait for Paul to kill him? They were doing that, and there were also skirmishes against these Roman soldiers. There was a lot of death going on, and then eventually this breaks out, and they burn Jerusalem. Titus, I mean, Titus, uh, Titus gets involved, and what happens is not the one in, not the one that's written about in Scripture, but the, this Roman Titus, and he actually sets up on the Mount of Olives this whole fortress that looks down on Jerusalem, and that's when this all starts. And there's all kind of stuff that goes on with that. And we say that we see that Paul Nero would later blame if what happens down the road is when Paul's killed, Nero would later blame the destruction of Jerusalem. He would turn it around on the Christians and use that as his platform to illumine his gardens with the bodies of Christians and burn them while he was eating dinner. That's what he did. He started blaming it on the Christians. Christ had said this for a very important reason when it came to the Jews and the way they were treating Paul. He asked the question, is Satan's army divided? Is it any different now? Satan obviously has a foothold on the hearts of both Felix and now Festus. And the one thing they're not going to want to do is let Paul, the apostle, go back out and preach the gospel. And what they don't understand is they're being controlled by Satan. Satan doesn't want Paul out there. And the Lord is allowing this for a very, very prominent reason. So what are the Judaizers thinking now? Here we see a pressing application, which is that we see the high priest, the surrounding Jews, they're now basically washing their hands of Felix, and they want to go forward, and they want Paul dead. We'll see verses here in a minute. Felix has definitely washed his hands of Paul, has handed them over to Festus, and we see it's another cover-up. We see basically this is like, like a taking, this is a, a lot of conniving, just like the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ, which you've been talking about. And look at the politics that went with Judas and how they were able to get through that. And we see the business of the prosecutors was to demand justice against the one that is supposed to be a criminal and he is to be innocent until proven guilty. And the whole time Jesus himself is guilty until proven innocent. He didn't have due process. Neither does Paul. But, to see, you, but we see that's filtered all throughout these verses. There was no evidence against Paul. There was none. Absolutely nothing to convict him of him being a mover of sedition. Remember, even in the Roman judiciary legislation, 
They, their first objective was to, to provide for the one to be innocent until proven guilty. And they were to have favor for the prisoner to try to spare his life at all costs, unless there was absolute evidence, 100% evidence against him. There was a term called favorum vita, or to favor his life. And that is what is supposed to happen in the court of law today. The life of that human being is supposed to be supported and it's to be protected unless there is evidence proving that there is a murder or that there is a capital offense. And then that person gets executed properly in capital punishment to provide and to spare the life of the ones and the people around that got killed that it won't happen again. That's why I have a real problem with what happened up here on the Mom Patrio. Have you heard anything about the murderer? Have you, it's all crickets now. What happened to him? Have they found him? I believe they know where he is. But they're being very careful with that narrative. Very, very careful. And so what's happening now, basically, is someone once again gets scot-free from a murder. We don't want that. I think that works very, very well in a, in a proper system. Even though the Jews could prove no crime against Paul, they take it as a favor for them to the government to just kill him and to go after him and to murder him. Festus answered, The governor's resolution is not to concede to the Jewish council, but to deliver Paul up to Jerusalem, but only that he would, he would go back to the courts where Felix presided in Caesarea, and that's where they are now. But the question is, what would have happened to Paul? See, Paul's nobody's dummy. He knows that the heat is on. Remember at the beginning of his ministry, what did they do? Even back then, and it wasn't that long ago before this, they had to lower him down over a wall. And even the disciples told him, you better stay away from that place. You better go back to Cyprus, back into your old country. You better go there because they're going to kill you. And this is what happens here. But we see that Paul says, I will go to Rome. And when Festus answers this, as the resolution of the governor, he says to Paul, well, what do you think? And Paul's thinking, remember, there was, they, they were designing to murder me back in chapters 23, verses 13 and 14, and it was so serious. Basically, this, this band of Pharisees, these Jewish rebels, I think part of them were Pharisees and Sadducees, he, they said, we have bound ourselves unto a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Do you think that that's calmed down from here? That they have not really actually put together some more absolute opposite rebels to come after and to kill Paul? Well, he knows that that's coming against him. It doesn't seem at this point that Festus had real knowledge of another attempt of Paul's life. And that's because he did not understand the Jewish law. He didn't understand the Roman law. And he's just thinking, oh, we'll just keep him here. You know, this is a great lesson about how the way our Lord connects the dots at this point, many times, as we've said almost exhaustly, Paul should have been dead by a nail by the hands of all these terrorists. But all throughout this, we see that God makes use of his means, preserving Paul out of the hands, even of his very enemies. Perhaps there was greater care because Festus had a very close relationship to the higher authorities in Rome. But the Lord was using all of this to preserve his life. And he can use whatever means necessary that he deems appropriate. And it's amazing. I mean, you look at what happened to Jonah. And the question down through the ages is, was that great fish an instrument of destruction or an instrument of salvation? Well, of course it was an instrument of salvation. 
or he'd have been dead. He'd have been laying at the bottom of that sea, and the Lord spared him. Lisi. Right. Right. And he also was a Pharisee. So he also had standing with the Jews in their courts. He has standing as a Roman citizen. And because of that, Festus can ask him, where do you want to be tried? Festus could have said, I don't care what you say, Paul. You're the criminal here. You're the one being chained. We're going to drag you to, to up to Jerusalem. And certainly there would have been a real, a real bad uh, a wait there. We got to finish. I got way more to go, but we got to finish. I'm sorry. Let's, let's finish up. I ask uh, Noah, could you close us this morning? Thank you.